Today we welcome Ray Garg, author of the newly released BB, Journey of a Spirit Animal. Ray has a background in education for over 15 years. She has a master's in education as well as a master's in administration. She's a teacher and runs a program for expelled students. She's using her experience in the field to develop a solution to address the mental health needs among young people today. In our conversation, we'll talk about the book, and then we'll dive deep into the issues plaguing our educational system today. Welcome to The Daily Elevated Show, where you get curated, unbiased information with viewpoints from the left and the right so that you can make up your own mind without being manipulated. Thank you for being on, Ray. Thank you for having me. Very credentialed. Love the book. I read it. Uh, It reminded me of me a lot when I was young because this is essentially how I was. And uh, I mean, you mind telling us a little bit about it and then we can go deeper into the weeds because it's a great read for anyone, young or old. Yeah, so BB, he is he is a bee, um, but he is a spirit animal bee. He basically embarks on this uh, transformative journey that he doesn't really realize kind of already began from the day he was born. Um, most of us go through the same transformation in life where we are moving from childhood into our teenage years, into our adulthood. And oftentimes we're just kind of pushed into this quote unquote uh, real world. And for BB, it's the human world. So in the story, BB decides that he doesn't really want to follow the structure that society has placed. Um, he kind of wants to do things his own way. And he really it feels pretty confident about his own skill sets. And so he decides to kind of uh, take the next step without finishing school. And he doesn't really feel too strongly about school because he kind of feels like it's not teaching him or preparing him um, for the human world. So he kind of has some help from his friends and to initially get to the human world. And when he gets there, he's kind of uh, confronted with nothing he's ever been told or or, um, talked to about in with his parent or with in school. And so he's kind of up against a more challenging scenario than he anticipated you know when one of the things that i liked about bb he reminds me of myself and i actually on page 19 i uh circled this 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 little part of the book which says he saw work in a different light he liked to figure out ways to get the job done without actually putting in the normal amount of time required so that he can enjoy his day and i started laughing because that is exactly how i am i i i try to get things done as quickly as possible uh, so I can do other stuff. But in going through the book, I noticed that some of the issues that he had had to deal or they had to do with his perception on life. And I feel like that that's a very, um, it's a very timely discussion to have because of the day in social media. You know, I, I've been listening to a lot of Jonathan Haidt. He's a psychologist and a sociologist, and he's talking about how people used to spend time doing things, whereas now they spend time just scrolling social media. So that time that people would have spent experiencing life and making mistakes and critically thinking on how to solve issues, they're now spending on social media. Um, So I felt like BB was kind of a, uh, I guess, an example of what that would look like in, in in a bee. Yeah. And, you know, the reason why I even chose a bee to begin with, because when we think of a bee, we think of like a hard worker. And so it's not that BB is afraid of hard work or being a hard worker. It's that he wants to do work differently. And sometimes we think that you have to put in this certain amount of time, um, you know, that you're this hard worker in order to be successful. And so that's what makes BB kind of a special character because he does kind of represent this different mindset that I often see among a lot of young people today. I can tell that BB does have some issues, obviously. Um, that's kind of what the book, the book is about. But 
um, the book is a lot more than just about a story of a bee. It's 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 essentially what I feel. And correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's talking about the problems that we're experiencing in children today in our in our current time. Correct. Um, oftentimes, you will find a lot of uh, fictional stories for a younger audience. They're kind of uh, composed with these uh, teachings of right or wrong and character building. But I didn't want to write something that, I guess, directly tells the whoever the reader may be what's right or what's wrong. I really wanted them to kind of follow the journey of the character and to think and to question and for themselves. Was that right? Is that wrong? Uh, you won't really find a sense of who's right, who's wrong in the story. There is that ambiguity that's kind of left there. And it's not meant to be mysterious because I'm trying to create some kind of anticipation for what happens next, but simply because I want the reader to really own, uh, own their own thinking around these major topics or themes that are very relevant and current today. And a lot of these topics and themes, we don't really address them. We're not very open. We're not very honest. We're usually afraid. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to shed the light on are these major issues that we look the other way because they may be too controversial. Yeah. You know, I feel like as a person growing up, if your parents never had the hard conversations with you, they were always too scared or, or maybe didn't feel comfortable going there and you grow up to be a parent yourself, essentially you're gonna most likely be the same kind of parent that your parents were in that respect where you're not probably gonna, not gonna wanna talk to your kids, uh, but those are the conversations that have to be had. And um, you know, kind of going back to Jonathan Haidt, he was talking about the fact that we, we are what, what he coined the term anti-fragility, where we try to protect our kids from everything around and we try to solve all the problems for them when in reality we're doing a detriment to them because we're not helping them solve it themselves um you know he was talking about the fact that uh, the baby boomers in generation x they went out by themselves in the streets when they were like nine years old six years old and now if you do that people want to call the cops on you because they're like how could you let such a young kid out in the streets i really think that part of the problem is that parents just don't allow their kids to be kids or they don't allow them to make mistakes because they want to show them how to do everything the right way. Is yeah, I think that you definitely have a point there, but I would probably take it a step even further. Um, I don't think it's just parents and I don't think it's just uh, schools. I really think as a society, we try to always do the thinking for someone else. And we never really allow the other person to think for themselves. And it's almost a sense of control. It's a sense to kind of keep some order or semblance. But without that kind of uh, dissonance, without that diversity in thinking, without the ownership of one's thought, a lot of our problems that we see today are rooted in that. And uh, I'm not trying to put the blame on anyone. I just think collectively we've uh, created our own problem. You know, and, and to add on to that, I was reading a story the other day talking about how much the brain has changed when you don't use, or sorry, when you use GPS to direct where you're going to go. Uh, the, the story was saying that you create a spatial map in your head, a 3D spatial map, which is incredibly complex to make when you have to get from point A to point B. But when you use GPS, it, it simplifies that. It dumbs it down to make a left, make a right here. So you're not using that spatial awareness and you're not developing it uh, to a complex level like the people that they measured that don't use GPS. And they saw um, an increase in gray matter in, in, in the part of the brain where that cognitive process happens. So part of it, now that I'm thinking, is like how much does the advent of the internet and the easeability of getting information have to do with what you were talking about, where we're, if we have a problem now or we have a question, we don't have to try to find out. We just Google it and it's there. Yeah, that's, honestly, that's changed a lot of things. Uh, you're absolutely correct. 
Uh, I think that early education, um, it kind of focused on like disseminating information that somehow the teachers were the gatekeepers of everything. But obviously with the internet, everything is accessible at all times. Um, so yet we're still kind of using the same uh, old model of schooling uh, that we were in the past. And I think also there is the key component of neuroscience, understanding that over the years, because of technology, the brains have changed. There is an actual physical difference in the way that they have uh, kind of rewired. And so even though you may still have a 14 year old or a 11 year old, just like you would have a few, you know, 20 years ago, there is a difference in how their brain is receiving information and processing it. And so that's also another piece that's missing from the puzzle. And I think thirdly, is really this idea of uh, metacognition, just thinking about your own thinking. Uh, I think a lot of times that gets lost because when you're uh, surrounded and constantly consuming information, you you're almost uh, inundated that you can't process or think about it uh, in a timely fashion. And so you're just either retaining it or kind of dismissing it, but there's no real thinking that's going on. And I think that is kind of uh, the underlying implication for everything that we see around us that's the, causing an alarm, especially within mental health. You know, that, that's a great point that you bring up. And I, I agree completely. Number one, because it happens to me. So I'm a voracious consumer of information. Uh, that's my hobby. So people, you know, say, what are your, what's your hobby? My hobby is learning. But I find that I can take in so much information in one day. The problem is, is if I don't talk about it to anyone or I don't uh, regurgitate it or if I don't try to explain it back to myself to confirm that I really know what I'm talking about, then I don't really learn. And exactly what you said is right now, it's so easy to consume information. It costs basically zero money. As long as you have an internet connection, you have access to an unlimited amount of information. But because we're talking to people in face-to-face uh, -face less and less, we're not talking to anyone about that. So we're learning stuff, but we're never going over it. We're never thinking about it again because it's just the next thing is we need, we need to consume more and more information. Okay, what's next? If you go down the YouTube algorithm or the YouTube rabbit hole, what are you doing? You're watching a video and then you're watching another one and another one and another one until you kind of exhaust your, your, your ability to take in more information during that specific time. But you're never talking to someone. And so whenever I, I record a video or I do a talk or anything like that, that's not my first time doing that talk. No, I, I develop talks and what I'll do is I'll go on Clubhouse or Wisdom. These are apps where you can just talk to people and I, and I just start talking. And when I talk, I develop things. I, I understand things more or it sheds light on a new doorway into what I'm thinking about and I'm able to better formulate my words. But if you don't talk to anyone and you don't ever do this or you never have conversations or debates, you don't develop that, that, that ability. So it's, it's a really scary thing that's happening, I think, to us. Um, well... You're correct in that statement. Um, obviously, there's the uh, applicability of whatever you are consuming. You do want to make sure that you are digesting it, processing it, and reflecting on it, uh, which is key to being a, a literate person, which is why literacy is so important. When I wrote BB, I didn't want to write something that was too extensive and it wasn't because I didn't want people to think on the contrary. I wanted to write something that forced people to think in a short and quick amount of time, kind of like what they're used to, but kind of open up doorways for them to reflect on parts of their own life, their own experience, um, and what is kind of happening all around them. So I know that many people like will look at the book and say, well, it's a bit short. You're right. But it's, it's really meant to also kind of not just be read and consumed or enjoyed. It's also meant to be a catapult into having a conversation, into reflecting, into thinking, which is really key, I think, to a lot of the mental health issues among young people is really developing that skill to think 
and think for themselves. Yeah, I mean, when you read it, it, it makes the reader be introspective. So as you're reading it, you're applying it to parts of your own life. So that's that was one of the things that I really liked because I don't often think of my of how I was when I was in school. But this really kind of made you think and that's the foundation of who we are, to be honest. I mean, that's that's how we develop these social skills is in school. So to to think back in school or when I was in school, through the eyes of BB, I, I found a lot of similarities uh, with with both of us, which is something that I really liked. Um, and, you know, as you're as you're speaking right now, two things hit me. Number one is a few months ago, I started to think, are we smarter than we were let's say 100 years ago or 200 years ago, are people actually smarter, not have more knowledge because knowledge and, and intelligence are, are two different things. But uh, I was researching this and apparently, uh, I, I believe what I, what I researched was that IQ goes up about 10 points every generation, but that doesn't mean that we're smarter people. That just means that we have more information. So it, it, was, really, it was really interesting. And the, way, the reason why I started thinking about that was because I follow a page called uh, like History and Memes and they post a lot of really old videos, like videos that are shot in 1920 with people who were born in the mid 1800s. So at the time of the recording, they're really old. And the way they speak is just so intelligently and they speak with a very calm, slow cadence and they think about every word before they say it. And now people speak very fast and you know they, they don't really care if what they say is completely accurate. They just wanna get, get out as much as many words as as uh, as they can. So I look at like if you don't know anything about ADHD or any mental health issues, but you just look at the cadence that people spoke back in the day compared to now, that it's pretty evident that something's happened. That's there's there's a difference in just the quickness of people speaking. You're right. There's a, a sense of like urgency that I think a lot of us um, feel like we have to live under um, just the way that things are in society. And I think that the character Bibi, he notices this, that even in the spirit animal world, everybody's kind of just rushing and no one's really stopping to take a moment to think about what they're actually doing. Yeah, there, there's, an old, there's an old saying that I like, that I, I always think about when I'm having a conversation with someone is a conversation is a tennis match. You hit the ball to them and then they hit it back to you. It doesn't work if the balls are only coming one direction. You can't hit it back. Uh, so when people try to, let's say, argue with you, debate on you, or just tell you what, what their opinion is, at some point they have to stop talking so the other person can respond. Otherwise, they're giving you like 85 points that they're trying to make and there's no way you can respond to all of them. Um, but uh, so what what is because you work in in the education system right now, um, what have you seen over your 15 years on on how students have changed? What is it because you're you're, you're on the front lines of it? Uh, correct. And I've kind of gone through different lines of work within the field of education and um, the current position. I run a program for expelled students. And obviously that puts me um, literally on the edge of the front line. But despite the fact that there, you know, there is a, an awareness of mental health, it seems to be a very trendy phrase these days. Uh, but the problem is when something becomes trendy, we all know what happens to trends. They fade away and eventually die. But mental health, you know, just the, fra the phrase itself may be a trend, but the mental health issues, the underlying problems are here to stay and they're increasing at an alarming rate. Um, being in the front line and seeing it every day firsthand, I, I do notice a huge shift in the type of mental health issues um, from before the pandemic and now after the pandemic. Someone once asked me, if uh, it, there was any kind of uh, truth to the show Euphoria. And I said, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it is very, very close like that at many schools, um, even though 
everyone likes to think that their school is somehow different or not like the schools they hear about, let's say, in on the news. But there is a lot going on in this uh, in in schools that's kind of like this uh, underground type of market that's happening among the student culture. And so I felt that it was vital for me to write BB because it does address uh, a particular issue that I had to be very delicate about how I presented it in the story. But if it helps. Uh... Yeah, you know, I uh, definitely identify with that because I got kicked out of high school. Uh, I was one of those really gifted kids in middle school. Uh, I was always a smart kid. And in middle school, I took all those tests and they're like, hey, you're at a college level, like reading level at in middle school. You're doing going to do great all honors classes in freshman year. And I wasn't driven because I was like, this is too easy. So I started slacking off. I'd ace a test, do none of the homework and just literally just cause problems in school because I was bored. I was a, I was a jokester. I would play pranks on people. They kicked me out of all my classes, basically. Um, and then I ended up being sent to uh, uh, to I got kicked out and I got sent to a um, continuation school. Then I figured out that there's a test you can take called the California High School Proficiency Exit Exam or exam. And if you pass it, you get your, your, your diploma. I said, are you kidding me? Why didn't no one tell me this when I was in high school? So I took it and I graduated a year early. But I was for about six months, I was in um, a school where it was, you know, all kids I got kicked out, a continuation school. And and yeah, some of those kids, it's, it's not that they're bad. It's like they're they're so you could tell that now that I'm, you know, I'm an adult thinking back on the kids where back then of that, they were just bad kids or they were dumb. A lot of it was because they were directionless at home or they didn't really have anything to look forward to, or there were, the parents didn't instill that, that importantness of school. Um, like a lot of Asians families do, you know, it's, it's, it's school or you basically die. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting now looking back in the, as an adult to the kids that I was looking at, where now, whereas before, I number one, I thought they were like either they were cool or they were dumb. But now, as an adult, I kind of feel bad for them. These type of students are misunderstood, and that there is a lot more going on uh, beneath the surface than what everybody sees on you know surface level. And because of that, I think that we sometimes look at like public education and we keep thinking okay, it's failing the students. And so if you speak up and say it's failing the students, then somehow you are like a proponent of charter schools. Well, charter schools, public education, honestly, it's not trying to be political, Democrat, Republican, left or right. What it really comes down to is it's that the system itself as a whole is completely outdated and it's forcing all students whether it's public or private to kind of uh, channel down a certain path where someone else is doing the thinking for them and that's really unfair for students like yourself who, who who are capable these students are capable of creating their own paths but a lot of times their talents, their skills are not recognized because it gets lost in what we see or call bad, which is really just trauma, which is another thing that's kind of addressed in the book, BB. A lot of who he is, we kind of get little clues along the way, is shaped from his early childhood. And that is huge for people to really understand that a lot of what happens in your childhood really has a huge impact on how you are later on in life. And I uh, was told that trauma doesn't come back as a memory. It comes back as a reaction. So when you have students from all different types of backgrounds bringing their different unique stories and their traumas, they're not all going to fit in the same model. And this applies for both public and private. This is not one or the other. It is for, we need to really look at the whole model itself and what we think education really needs to kind of look like 
for the modern student. Yeah, I think there's so many issues in schooling. Um, and I think about education a lot because it is the most important thing for any civilization is how how educated are the next batch of humans going to be because that's going to determine how productive they are and what they're going to produce and what they're going to value uh, as far as production goes. So I think God, someone like Elon Musk is around because he's gotten an entire new generation excited in space and and he's making being smart cool. You know, um, uh, Silicon Valley does that, but they're more uh, focused on just generating money, whereas Elon Musk is more focused on big, uh, big, big meta narratives and, and big pictures ideas. Now, I do want to bring up a few things that I, I think are wrong with the school system and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these or stop me whenever I, you know, when you want to expand upon one. But to me, on the outside looking in, I think that the model, and I know it's not possible now to the point it was before, but the model of one-to-one, -one, of having a mentor and a teacher like Socrates mentored Plato, Plato mentored, uh, uh, mentored Aristotle, um, and, you know, and then Aristotle mentored Alexander the Great. So Socrates played Aristotle, Alexander the Great. Like those were all amazing human beings is because they had a mentor. Whereas now it's the one to many. So you have what, 40, 50 kids to one teacher. The teacher's not going to be able to really spend time and really get to know every single kid um, when they have hundreds of students every day that they have to look after. And their job's not really to look after every individual student is to make sure they score well in the test. That to me is is I think the number one issue. The second is why the hell are teachers paid so little money? My buddy, a good friend of mine, just quit teaching after five years because he goes, I'm tired of being broke all the time and I'm tired of the disrespect and I can't do anything or say anything because I'll, then I'll get fired. I think that's the second issue. Um, the third is this industrial revolution type schooling system where you know students have to start early like they did it in the Industrial Revolution. You know, you'd go to the warehouse and start early. And then there's a bell that rings, which is that bell was taken from the Industrial Revolution when, you know, you had to work in the morning and brrr, all right, everyone go to work. Um, which I now I, I appreciate the fact that there's I think there's a bill in Colorado where they're saying that they want schools to start later on because kids really I mean, they're kids. Like they're not going to be ready to learn at seven in the morning. That's 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 a little extreme. Allow the students an environment where they can thrive, and then you know who knows? Maybe they'll thrive when they have better uh, a better environment. So those are a few of the things I think. And 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 the most inter or the most important one is I think that we need to as a society value education and put educated people on more of a pedestal. Uh, you know, they 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 have a prestigious life around other prestigious individuals or they have they're around other educated people they're not really around regular people so unless you know what you're looking for you're not going to find them and i think as a society we need to really propel these people who are intelligent instead of propelling people like sports athletes or 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 businessmen or you know like a donald trump type yeah he's entertaining but what i mean in reality what does he do for children like how is he helping uh children he's dividing people or you know, it's just it's it's incredible that we will allow ourselves to be uh, inundated and and to you know follow these uh, sports athletes and these actors and stuff. When in reality, the people who are learning things and trying to help the world are the people that really matter. I think that uh, you definitely have some points um, about the system of public schools and private schools needing to be changed. Um, so I definitely agree with that. I think that things have gotten really messy where we have lost sight of the purpose of education. And I think that until we have a, a solid understanding of the purpose of education, we really can't move forward. Um, and I know that the, the controversy lies in the fact is what is that purpose? Um, and obviously my opinion versus someone's op opinion may, may vary greatly, but I really think it's to get the students to think. So that right there has to be the foundation of whatever changes we see, uh, is getting the students to think. Um, if that means putting them with a mentor, then that's what we need to do. If that means that we need to put, um, uh, types of teachers that understand neuroscience, 
that understand uh, brain and learning and how they correlate, then that's what we need to look into. If we need to fund certain programs um, or I, I don't want to get into the idea of paying teachers more, but I, not that I don't, who doesn't want the money, mm. but it's really the idea of uh, the, the, the work environment. I would say a lot of times it's the work environment. It's not only, um, I guess it's not only at times, you know, something that we think is just for the teachers, but it's also part of the students too. So I, I think all of it, though, really ties back to the fact that the, everything needs to be modeled around what's going to help students to think and to think for themselves. Um, that's, that's really everything before we even get into what kind of changes we want to see. Yeah. I, as, as you were saying that, something popped in my head. And it's, as a teacher, I'm trying to think, I'm, I put myself in, in other people's shoes because that helps me really feel what they're feeling and if i'm a teacher in the 1960s compared to now one thing that i can immediately point and say that's a huge issue for teachers and maybe may make them not want to be a teacher anymore anymore is the fact that everyone thinks they know it all because they looked it up on youtube or 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 or, or they read something and as a teacher if you're teaching a kid and every single parent or not every single parent but a large portion of the parents are challenging you on the way you're doing things or what you're saying I don't want to wake up every day and have to talk to a bunch of parents who think they know more than me about my profession. Like, let me teach the kid and do what I do. And, uh, you know, and then let that be that. So I hear what you're saying. Um, I think that if we, we wouldn't even have that kind of um, thought process or issue, if we kind of removed that even from the table and focused on the fact that uh, I think a lot of times teachers, uh, because of the way the model is designed, for example, like an English teacher believes that they have to teach English and therefore they are these, um, they're the experts, which teachers are experts in their, in the subject that they teach, mm -hmm. but maybe that's not the right model. Maybe we shouldn't have uh, an English class or a math class. Maybe the model itself is the problem so that it's more of an open-ended curriculum that blends all the subjects together. And so it's not really a matter of a teacher now moving forward thinking I'm the expert of English, but more I am your mentor, your teacher, and I'm here to help you to think and kind of focus in on the subjects that are of interest to the student or that are current and relevant or that merit more value or importance based on the, the community. So you it has to be designed and personalized around the student and the student's ability to think about everything uh, within and without and with uh, around. Um, and I think it's just the model itself has to go away and we wouldn't even have all of these problems or uh, conflicts that we see. Yeah, I... Uh, I take inspiration from the Nordic way in school. The, the way they do things is they really value. Number one, I, I don't think they have any homework um, because they, they want kids to go out and play and, uh, you know, touch things and 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 figure th figure games out themselves um, and play amongst themselves so they can figure out how to organize themselves later on in society. Um, so that's one thing that I that. I, I like, and I mean, if you look at the intelligence of people in Nordic communities, yes, they're a lot, you know, they're a lot more homogenous than we are um, here in the U.S. and and uh, and they have a higher standard of living. But like, those are some of the smartest people in the world. So if they're doing something, maybe we should take inspiration from people who are doing stuff and doing it very well. Um, another thing is that uh, they they really value playtime, like they they really value it. And I listened to some psychologists say that. Children playing amongst themselves without adults intervening is one of the most important things because they develop cohesion and they understand how to take risks and they understand that if they don't contribute to the group, then they're not going to get whatever the end prize is. And I think that um, when you do stuff like you give everyone an award, a participation trophy, well, the barrier to feeling success is so low that why would you do anything more? Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of issues that 
I think he's used other people, what they're doing and how they're succeeding. And the fact that uh, we're falling every every year more and more compared to other countries in our in our students' education, like there needs to be a drastic change. But I mean, how do you do that when there's so many school boards in different states and there's you have the federal government? Like, well, what do you do about that? Right. It kind of seems overwhelming for uh, when you really think about it. Um, and and I hear you and everything that you're saying, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would also agree with what you're saying. And at times there was even moments when I thought the same thing as you. And so what I had to do, though, is take another step further back. And um, really, when I kind of uh, was able to see things from an even further perspective, I realized a lot of the creativity has been um, taken out of schooling yeah. overall. And the, the reason why creativity is so important is for two reasons. Uh, for Obviously, there's many, but the two most important reasons would be that without creativity, students cannot plan goals and execute them because they don't have that creativity skill to really uh, envision or have a vision of the future. So it's kind of like tied into goal setting and being a successful person or an ambitious person, you have to set goals. Uh, the second thing with creativity is without it, you don't see alternatives. So when you hear these of the uprising of uh, students being more violent in schools or more aggressive with each other, they're not seeing alternatives because they don't have that creativity skill. So therefore they just kind of default back to this uh, fight or flight. And that fight or flight is the fight is what you're seeing is the aggression in schools. And then the uh, flight is when you see more of the uh, interpersonal where they kind of scale back and maybe try to soothe with something that they shouldn't. Uh, which again, all of that is really kind of addressed in BB, the journey of a spirit animal, because without that creativity being nourished, that skill, they really can't move forward without it. So even with all of these other types of schooling around the world, uh, the thing we can take away from it, even if we're not trying to duplicate, which sometimes it might be a good idea to do that, but really take a step further back, it's about creativity. And creativity needs to be a, a cornerstone of the new model that we need for education. So if we're going to get kids to think and think for themselves, part of that relies on creativity. That's interesting. I, you know, I'm thinking from my school, or from my schooling, some of the most vivid memories I have of it or when I did things with my hand. Uh, so like, for instance, when I was in biology and we were dissecting uh, frogs or, you know, we were doing an experiment in, in science class or uh, I was in wood shop class and we were making stuff that I still have to this day, you know, like like a little pan or a little train or whatever. Or when I was making stuff with my hands in, in, um, in home ec, we were making clay out of a kiln. Like those experiences to me, because it's not just visual, it's there's more sensory information uh, that I have left over from that situation, like the way it felt on my hands or the way the wood smelled. And, you know, so a lot of senses are, are, are working to take an information that are allowing me to memorize or to remember those, those instances more compared to like, a just maybe, you know, reading a book or a teacher just talking about a subject. So I wonder how much impact having more projects to do and using your hands i mean even if you're talking about like english or something like that um how much that could lead to creativity because you have to create things you have to and it's graded yes and um definitely more tactile hands-on learning is obviously uh, an extra benefit to the overall retaining of information um but i'm going to take it an even step further because i always like to kind of go even further out um, if we look at with the onset of technology, especially with the pandemic, we had all students kind of switch to online learning. So they're all kind of on a screen and, you know, using the keyboard. Uh, and 
really we've replaced writing with a pen and pencil on a piece of paper. Um, but we know all the research shows that when you're physically writing, um, you are also thinking about what you're writing. So there's something that's missing when we're just kind of typing on a computer screen versus the physical uh, aspect of holding the pen or pencil in your hand when you're writing. So I know everything's kind of online now, but we really need to find, uh, I think, a balance, a healthy balance where students are still processing information through pen and paper before making that transition into the online space. And yeah. they're just going to have to be familiar with both, but you can't replace one with the other. You see, I missed that whole generation. I was in a generation where I, you know, I mean, I'm going to age myself, but I remember when we first had an Apple computer in, in my English class, it was the coolest thing I ever saw because they had the see-through green um, uh, paneling and it was so cool. And I remember taking like rudimentary tests on, um, on a computer, I had typing class, uh, but I, it I never had a laptop in school or I never had like a, a iPad in school or an Apple watch. And, you know, for the most part, didn't have a phone uh, up until like uh, high school. So I think if, if I were in, in school now, I absolutely think that that it would be way too easy to, to just take my, my, um, my attention away from whatever I'm doing and, yeah, absolutely. I, I think writing is super critical to especially someone coming up because it's the act of putting your hand and feeling what you're writing. I don't know if it's a, I mean, like a physiological thing, but just holding the pencil and writing and then erasing things. Maybe it's at a slower pace than, than you type. So you're able to really think about what you're doing more. Kind of like we were talking about how people, you know, a, a hundred years ago spoke a lot slowly. Uh, compared to a lot more slowly compared to us maybe that has something to do with it the the amount of time it takes us to uh to create information on a piece of paper compared to the amount of time it takes to type a word on a computer i don't know yeah i think that which is what we really need to do within education is just everything that's on the table right now the table is just so crowded we need to just wipe it off and start from the basics like if the purpose or goal is to get students to think um, that freedom of thought, really, and then kind of that cornerstone of creativity. Well, how do you ensure that that skill is being practiced? And then we start to kind of build in that neuroscience and looking at, OK, what is it that's going to help the students to build this particular skill? Um, obviously, creativity is not the only skill that would be the foundation for helping their students to think. But I think if we kind of really look at developing a model um, with that in mind, I think a lot of what we see with these mental health issues, um, a lot of it, I think, is really rooted in the fact that young people really don't feel in control of their own lives. And honestly, I mean, if you really thought about that yourself, like if you weren't in control of your own life, how would you react to your environment, your surroundings? Um, so I think that giving that control back to the student, the power of thinking uh, is really, I don't think it's the, the end all solution, but I think it's the right direction and it's moving it forward. Yeah, I think I, I think a lot of that uh, goes back to, uh, in my estimation, is to le letting students, number one, getting them the hell off social media and letting them experience life and touch things and, and go outside and do things because then you have to think critically about uh, like how, how do I get this done that I want to do? I mean, I, I think playing in the yard, uh, you know, with like wood and, and rocks and dirt was probably one of the best things that I could have ever done because like, if I wanted to make something, I had my I had very simple tools. I had a stick, I had a rock, and I had dirt. And if I wanted to make like a little mound or I wanted to create, I don't know, like a little castle for my army man, I'd, I'd have to figure out how to do it. Um, and I was outside touching stuff. And, that you know, that reminds me of something uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said. Um, he's a director of the Hayden Planetarium and an amazing uh, educator himself. He says, 
Every student is a scientist. They go out, they jump in water, and they're filling, they're filling how water fills. Um, they climb trees, so, so, so they're filling the surface of the trees. They're testing gravity, right? How hard is it to climb up a tree? Um, they're testing the, 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 so the scientists. Everything they do is what a scientist would do. Is they, they would go out and just test how everything felt, geometry and physics and all this stuff. And the parents, when they tell their child, do not step in that puddle of mud or that puddle of water. Don't jump in that puddle of water. Walk around it. Hey, don't get your hands dirty. Hey, clean yourself off. Like you're stripping them of that inclination, that natural inclination to be a scientist and to explore the world. And they've seen that at a certain point, I forget what grade it is, that students stop exhibiting those intuitions. And, you know, the reason they think is because the fact that it's just so pounded into them by their parents to not do that thing, to just be on a straight and narrow and don't get dirty and don't get, you know, don't fall and don't get, you know, your hands in the mud. But that's what they need. Uh, so maybe parents are part of it because they're trying to overprotect their children. Well, again, like I like to always do is take it a step further. The whole model of, um, of teaching a young person is built on the premise of learning. And learning is really very passive because you're receiving the information. So we always encourage students, especially in education, we say we want you to become lifelong learners which means you're a consumer. Um, but I like to kind of flip it and say, I want you to become self-taught. I want you to go out into the world and I want you to teach yourself everything. I'm not here to disseminate information. I'm not here to gift you this knowledge. I want you to go out there and take everything in and, and I want you to process it and digest it and think about it because that's what's going to help them to move forward, be a successful individual and be happy. Um, and, and I think that's really the problem is that our model is built on, on something that's passive and the students are not able to develop the skills they need in a passive environment. Yeah, it's sad. And, and it's, it's not getting any easier with, uh, with the rise of mental health, depression, anxiety, ADHD, uh, self-inflicted harm. I was looking at some charts today, actually, um, on how many children uh, and how the how many more children now deal with with mental health issues. And it's insane. I think um, the chart from 2016 that I saw this is 2016. So obviously, social media has gotten a lot more uh, 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 worse than then uh, than that because things like TikTok and uh, and live streaming and all that stuff. But it was something like over 10% of children of all children had mental health issues now in school. And I think the rate that girls, that female, like young females were in self-inflicting harm was up like 161% in the last five years, which is, I mean, that's just an astonishing figure. Like that, that's self-inflicted harm. Like that's, that shouldn't be happening, especially to, you know, to young girls. It's really scary. It's very scary. And I think that's why I have uh, such urgency uh, in trying to get this book out there because it's, it's not going to solve these problems, but it's going to create that awareness to have that conversation that something is not right. Uh, we've got too many students that are seeking other ways to, uh, to cope with what they're struggling with and it's leading them on some dangerous paths and and i think that this uh, book really uh, sheds light on something that is really an epidemic what i like about uh journey of a spirit animal bb is the fact that it, it does address those issues but in a very non-confrontational way it's a story about a bee you, there's nowhere in in this book that says Hey, like you might be making these issues or, or, or you need to do this. It's, it's a story about a bee, but within it, it, it's interwoven all these deep things that make you think about yourself. So one can go through and read it and not feel like the book is, is talking down at them or talking at them or talking to them or, or telling them what they should do. It's just simply telling a story about someone who had an issue and how they solved it, but in it, there's a lot of similarities that people can make between themselves and the character in the book. And that, uh, that I think is a magic that you had 
uh, in this book where you start uh, self-reflection without even knowing that you're doing it because you're finding these commonalities with the character in the book. And I think that is a secret uh, of of how it helps people because like I said, it, it really helped me think about when I was in school and then thinking about the plight that children go to. And I, you know, I started researching things after I read the book about what students go through nowadays. And um, you know, a lot of that was kind of scary because I'm like, man, if I had it, if I thought I had it bad, how much worse do these kids have it nowadays? And how much more do they have to cope with now not that they have social media? Absolutely. And I think that you hit it on the on the mark right there because it wasn't a book to give out some kind of uh, moral lesson or to directly tell the readers again, what's right or what's wrong, but it really causes the reader to have that self-reflection, whether the reader is eight, nine years old and reading it alongside a parent, the parent will also have that same uh, yeah. kind of reflection as well. It's really meant to get people to think. Uh, and if that was achieved by you reading it, then the goal has, is we're one step closer to working on a solution for collectively to address the issue of mental health. Yeah. And by the way, I like the subtle cover, uh, the, the subtlety on the cover where in the picture, he's jumping for joy and what's falling is his cell phone. <laughs> Yes, I like I that you that. Kind of caught on to that. Yeah, yeah. That was key. I, the phone doesn't go away, but it's definitely this uh, re uh, release. It's a cell phone idea. I always try to explain to students. It's it's like your own prison cell. Mm -hmm. And when you find a way to kind of let go of it. You're removing those that chains that's kind of around you. Yeah. You, you know, I uh, when I biked across the country, I, I obviously had a lot of time to think because that's all I was doing is just biking for 10 hours a day and just thinking. And I, I was thinking about phones and it, it's incredible how we have this world right in front of our eyes. And we live through a tiny screen that's what, six inches. And the only the only thing that we have to do as humans to experience life, it's the simplest thing. You just look up. And it's right there. You don't have to go find it. It's in front of you all the time. It's it's the easiest thing you can do. Uh, so, you know, I was I was laughing to myself because I forget. I think I was in Oklahoma or something biking. And, and I kept looking at my phone for the directions because I had no idea where I was at. And I had my GPS on Google, Google Maps. And um, so I would look down and just look at my phone. And then as I'm biking and look up and just see this beautiful scenery. And then it really hit me. I'm like, so many people live their lives inside this tiny little screen when the reality is right in front of them and all they have to do is just look up and it's right there yes and i honestly remember uh there was this it seemed like a time when we used technology to kind of uh escape from reality but now it's like we have to force ourselves to go to reality to escape technology and i think that we're kind of caught at this uh fork in the road where we can go one of two ways as uh, as humanity, and uh, I'm not trying to go the other way. And so if my part is really to just get people to have conversations, to talk about these important issues, then at least I know I'm leaving this world in a better place than I when I arrived. And that's kind of, you know, my overall take, I guess, on this. Yeah. And I... I think you said something really important is that people just have to talk and not be worried about what they're going to say when they say it. Uh, you know, I was listening to a, a psychologist speak and he goes, one of the worst things that's happened is these safe spaces that people have created in schools where there's, there's uh, actually it was Van Jones. He's a political commentator. He's a very progressive guy, but he's very open-minded and he likes conservatives. So I like listening to him. And when he said, he goes, there's a difference between Having oh and and it's funny because he says he says listen liberals I'm going to tell you this and you might get mad at me but I'm on your side so listen to, listen to what I'm saying and he goes these safe spaces you have to determine or you have to separate what you mean by this because if you're saying there's a safe space where you're not going to be sexually assaulted or or you know or or put in harm's way yes I agree but when you say a safe space where you don't want anyone to say anything that can offend you. 
He goes, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're doing a detriment to students because students have to be offended. Like it, in order to develop who you are, you have to be challenged. Otherwise, you have no idea if you're really right. And by talking to people and not being afraid to say something not racist or not misogynistic, but have a difference of fundamental opinion, people need that. It's it's one of the ways that I think I've developed, uh, you know, myself uh, to to be who I am because I'll I'll say anything the hell you know anything I want, and I I expect people to say anything they want to me, without afraid uh, without being afraid of of you know saying something that I may not agree with. And I, I hear what you're saying, and to kind of sum that up, it's kind of this idea that, um, you know, good intentions uh, aren't good enough. And even though maybe, you know, parents, adults, educators have the best of intentions by making these safe spaces, uh, if we, we do that, we aren't allowing the elephant in the room to be addressed. And yep. We don't talk about reality and find a way to delicately approach it without feeling like we're offending someone. We're never going to move forward. And I know I keep saying that word forward, but it's, I, I'm, I guess I'm just so tired of uh, being stagnant. And then when I see sometimes things, you know, I hear things in the news or see things here and there, it feels sometimes like we're going backwards. And I just want to move forward. It doesn't matter who created the problem at this point. I kind of believe collectively we all did. So let's all just figure out collectively how to move forward. Yeah. And, and just to sum up the whole technology thing is um, we're, we're facing as humans something that we've never faced in the history of our humanity. Technology that gives us a release of dopamine when we take an action on that social media, like liking a picture or receiving a like. Um, I was reading an article like, I, I forget who wrote it, but basically it, it was said, we are essentially primates that develop consciousness uh, and we are going up against a technology that thousands of computer scientists have optimized and created algorithms to keep our attention. So we're like dumb primates trying to fight this, this beast that is technology. And who's going to win? I mean, you know, progress is slow. But when when they put it like that, I'm like, yeah, that's what we're up against. That's why we're taking a step back, it feels like, because we have to contend with this new technology that it's so freaking powerful and we've never dealt with it. And we haven't evolved to be able to fight it off as as humans. So like, like you said, to move forward, I mean, I don't I don't know what exactly it's going to take, but it's going to take something and it needs to happen. Yeah, you know, we may not be able to see the whole staircase, but I definitely know the first step is to be able to talk about it. And so if we start there, it's better than we where we were yesterday. Absolutely. Um, so journey of the spirit angle, journey of a spirit animal, BB, uh, where can people find this at? So it is available on Amazon. You can get it in a print version or you can also get it for a Kindle. Um, it's also available at Barnes and Noble, and you can also purchase it too on uh, iBooks as well. Okay, yeah, I love it. So, uh, guys, if you're out there, um, I'll put a link on this video below it, uh, or in the podcast description, so you can go to Amazon and get it. Um, but I'd highly recommend you read it. Um, it's not a long read; it's not a hard read. So don't think, oh, it's going to be you know one of these books that Fabian recommends. It's like 800 pages long. No, it's 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 as long as it needs to be to get the point across um so you're gonna enjoy it child or adult you know i, I know because i'm an adult and i enjoyed it so um, i definitely recommend you get it on i i this is a credible conversation um i don't often get to talk to educators but i do have a lot of opinions on education uh because i i think it's the most critical thing to our to the next generation of of humans uh, and it's all we should be focusing on, not these stupid issues that we keep arguing about. Um, so I really appreciate having you on and getting your insight. And I would love to have you on again um, so we can continue this conversation. I would definitely love to be on again. I know that we touched um, on a lot of issues, but we didn't really get a chance to dive even deeper than I think we would have liked to. So um, I'd be happy to return. And I hope that whoever does kind of pick up this uh, book, BB Journey of a Spirit Animal, that they 
they find uh, a connection with it and it allows them to kind of self-reflect and hopefully move forward as well in their own journeys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you again. Get the book, BB, Journey of a Spirit Animal, and uh, we will see you next time on The Daily Elevated Show. Here at Daily Elevated, all of our content is free and there are no paywalls. But if you like what we do and would like to help us grow so that we can create more and better content for you, then consider becoming a subscriber. It's less than a cup of coffee at only $5 per month, but it will allow us to grow. We have plans to release an app, produce documentaries, have other podcasters join our team, and much more. So if you like what we do and would like to join us in our mission to provide unbiased news to everyone and make the world a smarter place, visit dailyelevated.com and subscribe today.